You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. Hi, everybody. Um, so, again, my name is Eleni Samuels, but everyone calls me Ely, so feel free. Um, and um, physician assistant for Dr. Leslie Bauman. Just want to tell you a little bit about myself and why I'm here and why I'm giving this lecture. So, do you know how they say? Um, uh, you know, I'm not a real doctor, but I play one on TV. So I'm not like a skincare expert per se, but I work for one. So <laughs> Dr. Leslie Bauman, if you guys don't know her, she's kind of a world-renowned skincare expert. She's written textbooks that are very famous. She even has several like New York Times best-selling books on skincare. So um, my expertise, if you guys were here yesterday, I literally was on the podium all day yesterday. So <laughs> those of you who are here yesterday, you guys know me well. Um, so my expertise are a lot in injectables and lasers, but of course as dermatologists, even in like my practice is 80% cosmetics. Um, we're like a cash pay, we don't even accept insurance. So um, even you know, in all your practices and in mine, it's really important to give every single patient that walks in, they all get a specific skincare regimen designed specifically for their needs. Um, so I'm here to kind of work you through how we do it and to teach you everything that I was taught by my boss, Dr. Leslie Bauman. So hopefully you guys can integrate that into your practices and how you're treating your patients and designing their skincare regimens. All right. Um, some financial disclosures. My supervising physician is Dr. Leslie Bauman, as I mentioned, and she's the CEO of Skin Type Solutions. Um, I serve on many advisory boards, and I'm a lecturer and trainer for a lot of injectable companies, Allergan, Galderma. Um, and, oh, here are some questions. So, retinoids are inactivated when exposed to sunlight. True or false? Oh wow, okay. Okay. Order of application of skincare products do not impact efficacy or tolerability. True or false? Okay. All right, so in order to design a regimen properly, we really need um, to know the science. And it's really important to think about um, the patient's specific skin type before you can really design a, an appropriate regimen. And know that one regimen is not right for everybody. So a lot of times I go into offices for trainings and I'll see that they just carry like one line of products from one company, right? Because it's easier. Or they're just putting every single one of their patients on the same kind of regimen because that's all they know. Um, so, you know, you really shouldn't do that because everyone's skin is different, right? We know that. Um, so, Let's talk a little bit about skin types. So we're all very familiar with Fitzpatrick skin type, right? Um, and it's very beneficial to me personally um, knowing someone's Fitzpatrick skin type when it comes to, let's say, laser procedures that I'm doing in my office. But really, we're misusing the Fitzpatrick skin type because it's really about tanning ability, um, the skin's response to the sun, 
Um, and it's developed by Dr. Fitzpatrick to select the correct UVA and PUVA for treatment of psoriasis. So it, this really shouldn't be used to design a skincare regimen. It's just really for analyzing skin sensitivity to the sun. So we need to, we need to come up with some other way, right? So what Dr. Leslie Bauman did is she developed a skin typing system where she describes four barriers of skin health, and they're dehydration, inflammation, aging, and pigmentation. And then she splits everyone up into 16 different skin types. You're either oily or dry, you're sensitive, and that can be acne, rosacea, whatever sensitivity you have, um, some inflammatory diseases, versus resistant, and you're pigmented versus non-pigmented, and you're wrinkled versus tight. And right here, these are all the 16 different skin types right here. And, um, and she assigns a letter to all of those. And um, I'm not going to be really talking about that today. But the important takeaway point is that you really need to develop some sort of system of dividing your patients into skin types so you can then um, you know, pre-do their regimens ahead of time. Because it can, it, this can take a lot of time to sit there and compose a regimen for all different skin types that are going to walk through your door. So the way we do it in our office, we do it by using this validated questionnaire where we don't really need to think about it at all. The patient takes this quiz in the waiting room and it assigns to them one of these 16 different skin types and then the regimens are automatically generated through a specific type of software. So giving patients like written instructions, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, um, is really important um, because um, the order of the products um, and how when to use them is also very important. Um, there's actually, they've done studies on this. Uh, studies show that patients only use the products that you're recommending to them, no matter for, like what it is, if it's for their acne or psoriasis. Most of them are only using it two days after you prescribe it to them, and then they stop and they start going back on it two days before their next appointment with you. <laughs> so then they come in, they're like, it's not working. And you're like, well, have you been using it for the past month? You know. So make sure you ask that question, because studies have shown this is a real problem. And believe it or not, um, one in three percent prescriptions never get filled, specifically in dermatology. So it's a problem. So one way that we try to increase compliance with our patients is to actually give them written instructions. So if you kind of like write out for them, AM, step one, step two, step three, PM, step one, step two, step three, they're more likely. And there are other ways that you can increase compliance, but that's one of the ones that the ways that the studies have shown. Um, and also, this is also going to ensure that your patients use products properly. So for example, one of the questions earlier, um, retinoids are only supposed to be used at night. So retinoids become inactivated when they're exposed to sunlight. So that's why we're only supposed to have our patients use them at night. It's not because they're dangerous to be worn in the sun. I hear that a lot. My patients say, oh, I heard it's like dangerous. No, it's an old wives' tale. The only reason we tell people to use it at night is because sunlight inactivates it. So that's why it's important that they have it written out, that they see that their last step or their third step at night is going to be that retinol. So they, in case they forget, you don't want them putting it on in the morning. So again, you have to consider the product order and the time of use. And this is kind of like um, our basic skincare, and we're going to talk about that later. But you can see we split it up to morning and night. And we have steps one through five for the morning and steps one through five at night. 
So ingredients. So ingredients are going to be, what ingredients you use is going to be based on your skin type. So we need to know which to, which to use and which to avoid specifically for the patient's needs. Product layering. Believe it or not, that's really important too. Um, when you layer products, the products affect each other. So, um, you know, so for example, let's say you have product yellow and you put that on and then you put on product blue on top of it, that actually turns them into product green. So that's just like a little animation example. So it affects um, activity, it'll affect penetration, solubility, and stability. So it really matters to know the science between all the different products you're using and how you're putting them on, so then they can best complement each other. And then you have others which are, don't like to play well in the sandbox together, right? They're very reactive. Um, you know, some ingredients can combine to even form new products. So out of all these, you know, we have ascorbic acid, benzoyl peroxide, hydroquinone, peptides, and retinoids. You know, these are very active products. Um, one of the worst there is probably benzoyl peroxide because it inactivates other products in your regimen. And that's why sometimes you won't see efficacy for something that you're trying to achieve if there's a benzoyl peroxide in that regimen. So you need to think about this when you're kind of designing your regimens for your patients. So if you're designing a regimen properly, each, pro each product can then improve the efficacy of the other. So that's our goal. And that's why I'm here and that's why this is important, because some people don't even realize that this is something that you need to think about. So there are many ways to do this. Um, and you know, in our office, we're very regimented and very, um, I'd say like methodical. And this really helps because with staff and with patients, if you are very methodical, again, they're more likely to um, have better success in patients following what you're doing and your staff understanding and helping your patients do what they're supposed to do. So again, here's our AM and PM. And um, these are all the steps in a basic regimen. And you don't always need to use all these steps in everybody, but this is, again, just a generalization. And um, the real difference between the two, you'll see they both have cleansers to start, then an eye product, then a treatment product, then moisturizer. And then the difference between the morning and the night is gonna be that last step. So this is a, a basic regimen, I should say, for a new patient, someone who's coming to me for the first time. Um, so the difference will be that last step. In the morning, it'll be sunscreen, and at night, it'll be retinoids. So I say that because when you're a new patient and you're coming to me for the first time and you're going on a retinoid or a retinol, I want that to be the last thing that you put on because you know it can be a little bit aggressive for the patient and really hard for them to kind of like integrate it and not get red and irritated. So when we start off a patient on a retinoid, it's always the last thing we do. If they've been on it for many years or they have very resistant skin and they can tolerate it, we're going to move that up to your number three, to your treatment product because that's going to be the thing that's going to get absorbed the quickest and the best. So let's talk a little bit about cleansers and moisturizers. So very often I hear dermatologists say, just use whatever cleanser or moisturizer, doesn't matter. Um, and it does matter. Um, and, um, and that message is really important that I want to imbue onto you. And you just can't tell everybody to use like CeraVe. Not that CeraVe is bad, it's great, but it's not for everybody. Um, so we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So let's start with um, cleansers. Okay, so what do cleansers do? Cleansers, they prepare the skin, they remove lipids, they deposit lipids, they affect the pH of the skin, which is really important. They loosen cell attachments and they promote desquamation. So cleansers can affect the skin barrier. 
I know we don't really think about that, but it, you, they really can. So what is the skin barrier? I know you guys are all med derms mostly, right? And you guys are very familiar with this, but let's just go over it a little bit. So we have keratinocytes, which are skin cells, and they're surrounded by lipids, which are the mortar. So I, we think, I, the way I think of it is um, the keratinocytes are the bricks, and the lipids are the mortar. And they're found in the very top layer of the epidermis, called the stratum corneum, where all the keratinocytes are. So the lipids form a bilayer membrane, but you know we learned about, at least for me, I learned about this in PA school, um, but what I didn't learn about till much later, till I started working for Dr. Bauman, is that there are actually several layers of these bilayer membranes, not just one. So let's take a look at the skin barrier a little closer. So we know that it's a bilayer membrane composed of three lipids, and it should be this one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one ratio of cholesterol, ceramides, and fatty acids. And we know that from a study that was done in 1996 in the Society of Investigative Dermatology is where it was published, that um, from, the, from 1996 we've known that we need to have this equal ratio of one to one to one for the barrier to be intact. So this is what a healthy skin barrier looks like. And if you look at it, it kind of looks a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle, right? So if you would take out one piece, um, and if one piece just was bigger than all the others or misshapen, or there were too many of one, the pieces wouldn't fit all together perfectly, right? And, that, um, and then it wouldn't be like watertight. So here are the lipids. So we have a hydrophilic head that love water and the hydrophobic tail that hate water. And that makes that central area um, hydrophobic. And an intact membrane will prevent water movement from across that membrane. So water can't move across because it can't get through that hydrophobic area. So cleansers and, skin and, and the skin barrier. So this is where cleansers come in. Um, foaming cleansers can injure the barrier. Non-foaming cleansers can preserve the barrier. So foaming cleansers are otherwise known as detergents or surfactants, right? This is why we tell our atopic dermatitis patients not to use bubble bath or harsh detergents. Um, and these are all different types of um, detergents that you know, are common. So foaming cleansers can damage the barrier because they kind of pry themselves between the lipids and they break up the skin barrier. So, and you can see that they're a little bit different because they only have one tail versus the lipids that have two tails. And then they form also this micelle, just like the lipids do. Um, and then, you know, they kind of pry themselves and break up that barrier. So then you end up with these little holes in your skin, which causes that transepidermal water loss, which then causes dehydration of the skin. Another thing that happens is it also allows for a lot of things to get in that we don't want, like allergens, irritants, bacteria. And this is also, again, what we're seeing with a lot of our atopic patients, right? Now sebum, on the other hand, sebum protects the skin barrier. And this oily coat at the top of the skin is what does that. And we don't need to really worry about our oily patients when it comes to um, using a foamy cleanser because the sebum protects them, right? And in general, we're less worried about our oily patients because they have that protection. Oily people don't like feeling very oily and greasy, though. So, you know, it's beneficial in that case to then put them on a foaming cleanser so, you know, they can feel a little bit less greasy during the day. 
So, you want to use a foaming cleanser with your oily patients to get rid of that excess sebum off the top of the layer of their skin. Sebum is also an occlusive, right? So it's gonna keep water from passing through. But the other thing is, is that you want things to get in, right? You're gonna put them on a treatment product that you want them to affect and be able to penetrate. So another reason why you might wanna use a foaming cleanser specifically for your oily patients is because you wanna kinda of clean up that sebum a little bit to let some of those products get into the layers of the skin. But my main point is sebum is very protective. As you can see. Another animation. Okay, so cleanser choice should consider presence of sebum. So if you're very oily, we're gonna use a foaming cleanser. And if you're very dry, we're gonna use a non-foaming cleanser. So cleansers can also affect the pH of the skin. So we see here, let me use a little pointer. Okay, so vitamin C is at a pH of two to 2.5, so it's very acidic, right? The pH of normal skin is about four to six. P-acnes is about six to seven, and these foaming cleansers are at 10. So all cleansers can affect the skin's pH. So we have our soapy, foamy cleansers, and they actually raise the pH to nine or 10, versus acidic cleansers that will decrease your pH to two or four. So this is a paper that was published that talks about how the pH affects barrier and, and how the pH actually regulates the barrier as well and how pH affects penetration. And we know this, this is like a famous skin suitable uh, study by Dr. Pinnell, um, where he demonstrated that vitamin C penetrates best at the pH of two to 2.5. And that's why um, vitamin C serums can be very expensive because of the way it needs to be formulated. Um, also, um, if you use a soapy bar cleanser, right, that's gonna decrease the ability of the vitamin C to get in because now you've created a very basic environment by using that cleanser. Um, but acidic cleansers, they'll help those that vitamin C penetrate better. So that's why if, when you're constructing your regimen, you might, in the, if you're gonna put them on a vitamin C in the morning, you're gonna have them wash their face in the morning with either a salicylic acid cleanser or a glycolic cleanser or a combination of both because you wanna prepare the skin and make it most acceptable for that vitamin C to penetrate and do its job. All right, so now let's talk about a little bit about moisturizers. But you know, before I go there, I want to talk a little bit about the treatment um, product. So that's number three. It's not here right now, but I know you guys remember from before. So treatment products. So that's going to be your acne treatment, your melasma treatment, and that needs to go on the cleanest skin. And everything else in the regimen is designed to make that work better. So we're designed like we're figuring out how, you know, what's your issue. How, what do we want to treat your skin with? And everything else in that regimen is specific to help that treatment product do its best job. So moisture, moisturizer goes on top, that's step four, after, after your treatment product, to push that treatment product in and help it do what it needs to do. So the treatment product is the most important and the moisturizer will affect the efficacy and the side effects of that treatment drug that you're giving them. So moisturizer, they can repair your barrier, they deposit lipids, they affect penetration, and they also affect the treatment product through efficacy and side effects. And a lot of people don't realize this, and I'm gonna get into that in more detail. So I know we already talked about skin barrier, but it's important to mention it when we talk about moisturizers. Again, we have those three lipids, the cholesterol, the ceramides, and the fatty acids. But there's lots of different kinds of fatty acids, right? Probably the most familiar that everyone's with is steric acid. 
and that's in a lot of ingredients like shea butter, cocoa butter, and lots of things that we use versus oleic acid. And you can see by the structure they're a little bit different. Um, and you can see that the oleic acid kind of has like the legs are separated rather than being together. And that can create space in the membrane so water can kind of escape and, and, and it's not watertight. And also things can get in the barrier. So if you're not using the right fatty acid, you might be getting a skin barrier that lurks more like this. So from there we learned that in ingredients can really inf influence penetration. So if you titrate penetration, you can do that by using the moisturizer that you're using. So for example, oleic acid that we talked about, olive oil. Lots of studies are showing that you can increase penetration when you put this um, into an, as one of your ingredients. There's lots of penetration enhancers. Um, these are some of them. Glycerin is a very interesting one, um, but the one I want to talk about today, which is really hot on the market that everyone's using and putting in all their moisturizers, is hyaluronic acid. So lots of people are using hyaluronic acid containing products, which is totally fine, but you need to understand what it does. And what hyaluronic acid does, it dramatically increases drug delivery. And that can be good or bad, right? So let's take an acne patient, for example, right? You just put them on a benz, a, like a benzoyl peroxide product in the morning and you put them on a retinoid at night. So if you put them on that with one of these H5 moisturizers, what's going to happen? They're going to get a lot more side effects because it's going to make that, those retinoids and the benzoyl peroxide be able to penetrate more and work a lot better. So those side effects of redness, irritation, they might be worse because you're using a moisturizer that has hyaluronic acid in it. Um, and we can look at it on the other side as well. Like let's say you're giving them this really expensive product and it's hard to penetrate the skin. It doesn't have, a, it doesn't have an easy time getting in. Then you're gonna wanna use a hyaluronic acid moisturizer to help that product get in a little bit better. Sebum can also affect the transdermal delivery. We already talked about that, right? So it can make it harder for things to go in and penetrate, and that's why we want to use a foaming cleanser, and that'll help, you know, treat and per remove, remove the sebum so the treatment product can get in. So, so far, let's talk about what we've covered. We talked about cleansers, we talked about moisturizers, and now let's talk about treatment product. So let's first talk about skin lightening treatment products. So skin pigmentation, it happens because of melanocytes. They're scattered through the dermis and the epidermis as you see here. And they kind of look like little octopuses or octopi, I'm not sure which one is it guys, octopi? Um, and they make melanin that are packaged in this little football looking melanosomes. And the enzyme that does this is um, um, tyrosinase. So it takes tyrosine and it turns it into melanin. And if you block that enzyme where that green arrow is, it won't be able to um, get melanin production. So I'm gonna show you, um, so this is kind of what's happening. A little animated video in the next one, I think. There you go. So it makes melanin, it packages it into those little melanosomes and it moves it up the legs and goes into the keratinocytes. So that's what's causing that hyperpigmentation. So what can we do about this, right? So we can turn off production of the pigment, 
we can block the transfer of the melanosomes into the cells, and we can also desquamate the cells off that already have color. So how do we do this? So we're blocking um, tyrosinase, we block the receptor, and we can cause a little bit of desquamation. So tyrosinase um, inhibitors, the problem is that they're very unstable and they react a lot with other ingredients. For example, hydroquinone. Hydroquinone is a very unstable because it has rapid oxidation. The good thing about it is that when oxidation happens, it turns brown. So you can tell your patients that you know if whatever hydro, you know, quinone product you're giving them, if it starts to turn brown, it's not working, we need to get you a new one. Um, also the problem is it has very poor penetration because of that hydrophilic structure. So these are the challenges. Arbutin, which is a derivative of hydroquinone, it's very similar. The problem with that is it falls apart with high pH. So if you're going to use like a barry foamy soap before, it won't really work well. So again, this is where cleansers are going to come in and be important. So pH affects efficacy of products. I know we've talked a lot about that. Um, and then now we're going to talk about ascorbic acid, right? So vitamin C, it breaks up exposure, to, it, it can break down when it's exposed to light, and it also um, is kind of poorly absorbed. So if you're using a vitamin C as a skin lightener, keep that in mind when you're choosing your cleanser, right? You're going to want to use a cleanser that has a low pH. I want to also mention when it comes to vitamin C serums, um, packaging is really important. I think we all know that when it comes to retinoids. That's why the prescription retinoids always come in like a dark, airtight tube, but uh, on the market I see people, a lot of my patients walk in, they're like, oh, I spent $350 on this amazing vitamin C serum, and it's like in like a jar or something, and it's exposed. If any air or light gets in, it inactivates it. So packaging, I mean, I'm all for packaging and making things look pretty, right? I'm in aesthetics, I love that. Um, but also like packaging is gonna matter in terms of how efficacious and if like your product is garbage or not. So sometimes people are spending hundreds of dollars on something that's doing nothing for them. So it's important to educate your patients also about that, that when they're you know doing even over-the-counter retinols or if they're using vitamin C serums, it has to be the bottle has to be opaque um, and no light should get in. So we want to enhance um, tyrosinase. Um, uh, inhibitor um, efficacy, right? So as I mentioned, light and air avoidance, penetration enhancers to increase absorption, right? So we can use some hyaluronic acid products to help penetration. Combine with them with antioxidants and you want to avoid benzoyl peroxide and hydrogen peroxide because they're oxidating, oxi oxidizing agents. Um, so again, we want to use some sort of antioxidant when you're using hydroquinone because it's um, a generation of reactive oxygen species and it's also very oxidative damaging. So make sure that if you're putting a patient on hydroquinone, you combat that with some sort of antioxidant. So cleansers and moisturizers dramatically um, affect efficacy of skin lighteners, right? Um, you have solubility issues, stability, hydration of the stratum corneum, desquamation, the pH, and occlusion. And you see, I don't know if you guys can see this little glob is moisturizer right here. So let's talk about um, skin aging treatment products. So there's lots of gene studies going on right now to try and help us understand skin aging. So you guys are gonna be hearing a lot about that, and I think there are a lot of like, I don't want to say bogus products that are going to be coming out on the market talking about this, um, but the best paper out there so far is by Alexa Kimball, and this is from 2018. She's in, she's um, a physician at Harvard, and um, 
like basically um, what she did was she took old people who looked old, she took old people who looked young, and then she took young people, and she looked at all their gene expressions. Um, and basically the message is that we really don't know what genes are associated with aging yet. But we're just starting to learn, and this is like the first paper that has really just started the process. So, um, you know, I wouldn't recommend to your patients to buy any creams that are targeting any like gene expression because they're really the science isn't there yet. But I did want to mention it because it is starting to like get better, and we're starting to learn more and more about it. So what are the cellular causes of aging? We have DNA damage, uh, the extracellular matrix has, matrix has all this junk in it. We have mitochondrial damage, glycation, inflammation. All these things cause our skin to age. So as you see here, this is nice, young, beautiful skin. And this is what our skin starts to look like when they're older. Um, these here are like the uh, triple helix collagen. These little um, spindles here represent um, hyaluronic acid. And these squiggly things are elastin. So you can see from here to here, we lose a lot of that as we get older. So the key to aging um, is, um, you know, let's talk first about anti-aging ingredients. So here, these are all anti-aging ingredients. I don't, obviously don't have time to go through all of them, but these are all things that you'll see in a lot of products and a lot of uh, mechanisms that they're using for anti-aging. So um, how are we going to approach reversing skin aging? So um, we think that the key to aging is to like stimulate the cells. So you have these old, lazy keratinocytes and fibroblasts, and we kind of want to wake them up and stimulate to start doing their jobs a little bit better. And that's what we're looking for in our anti-aging products. So my very, very favorite is retinoids. I don't know if you guys can realize that just by how many times I've re mentioned retinoids. Um, in my practice, I, every single one of my patients are on some sort of retinoid, even my rosacea patients. Um, we say that like we can get anybody on a retinoid. Um, so what retinoids do, um, they turn off the bad stuff and they turn on the good stuff. So they're turning off um, collagenase, um, your MMPs, and they're turning on collagen and hyaluronic acid. So these are some papers that have proved this. So this is a very famous, um, uh, this one over here, um, is a very famous um, study that was done in the 80s, especially in the cosmetics world, because it's the study that led to the approval of Renova, which is um, a tretinoin. And um, I actually show this picture right here to like almost all my elderly population patients. So this is actually one of the subjects on the trial. And the only thing that she was able to put on her face was sunscreen and Renova and nothing else. And I don't know if you guys can appreciate up on the screen, but you can actually see how dry she is because they didn't even let patients uh, on the trial use moisturizer. Um, so I have so many elderly patients come in and they're, and this, this subject was actually 74 years old. So I have so many people come into my practice and they're like, oh, it's too late for me. I'm already in my 60s. I'm like, nope, look at this picture. Look at what retinoids can do. So it's always very encouraging. Um, and this study over here, um, was a study where they took 80-year-olds and they put retinoids um, 
under their arm, like over here. And they put it under one arm and not the other arm. And that what this showed improved is that it, and the, the arm that was treated with the retinoids got a lot tighter. Um, and this, what this proved was that retinoids also work in non-sun exposed areas and it works in old people as well. So we've got good proof that it works. Hydroxy acids. Hydroxy acids have been around so long, I feel like sometimes people forget how well they work, right? So they increase type 1 collagen production synthesis and they improve the way skin looks. Ascorbic acid, I know I keep talking about vitamin C as well, um, but I also want to mention here that it increases collagen production because the collagen needs vitamin C to form. So we're also using vitamin C products for not just skin lightening, but also just for um, anti-aging long-term purposes as well. Growth factors, the problem with growth factors is that they degrade very easily and the older cells have a hard time hearing them. So um, it's hard to get growth factors to work in your skincare. Uh, heparin sulfate, um, so it protects against growth factors, it helps them find their target and it, it amplifies cell signaling. So a lot of times you'll see heparin sulfate being used with the growth factors to help them work a little bit better. So. Um, you want to stimulate new keratinocytes, so how are we going to do that, right? So in our office, we do a lot of wounding procedures, right? We're doing microneedling, we're doing CO2 lasers, we're doing lots of things to cause that wound response. You can do exfoliation with your hydroxy acids, your retinoids, and some mechanical ways, and you can stimulate your stem cells. So let's talk a, lot about, a little bit about stem cells that you should know about when it comes to the skin. So. Um, Right below the sebaceous glands, inside the hair follicle, there's this stem cell called the LGR6 plus stem cells, and they populate the entire epidermis. Um, so there should be a video with here also. No? Little video? Brian? Do I have to do something? Maybe it's not. Okay, so um, what happens is you have a wound and defensin is released by the neutrophils and, the, and that causes um, the making of these stem cells and then new keratinocytes are able to then fill that space. Oh, here we go, sorry, my bad, I was supposed to click again. So this is a little video showing what's happening when that happens. So if we can apply this topically, pun intended, right? So if we can apply this topically, then maybe we can make stem cells and that would be great, right? So that's where Defensin comes in. So he's our little defensive man, superhero coming in, and it goes down the hair follicle and it populates. And what's really cool about Defensin is that we don't need to worry about penetration. Why? Because it's going down the hair follicle so penetration doesn't become an issue when we're dealing with Defensin. So a lot of products out there are trying to stimulate this happening topically. Another challenge is that we have all this buildup of junk, right? So we want to get rid of all this to make our skin look younger. And um, they ha they're old cells or damaged collagen, damaged elastin, and it's hard for the cells to talk to each other because all this junk in the extracellular matrix is kind of in the way. So then, um, that's where uh, matrokines come in. Has anybody heard that word before, matrokines, in the audience? 
Okay, it's really kind of new, and you're gonna be hearing this word a lot. Um, if anybody has heard of um, a company called Elastin, this is in their products. I know those of you, there are a lot of you were at um, pre-conference day yesterday, and we're at like my six lectures. <laughs> um, so that's something I spoke about. Um, uh, specifically, Elastin Nectar, um, it has changed my laser practice. Um, in such a huge way. It's, caught, it's cut downtime for a lot of my invasive procedures in half. So my microneedling patients, my CO2 lasers, instead of like my CO2 patients having downtime for like seven to 10 days, if I put them on Elastin Nectar, I'm seeing like a downtime of like four to seven days instead. So that's huge, especially um, when people don't wanna have a huge downtime. And it's also made my patients want to do these procedures more because, and they're recommending them to their patients more because there's, it's not as bad as a, of a downtime as what it used to be before I was putting my patients on this. So okay, so back to this. So matrikines, what are they? So they're peptides that come from fragmented proteins. So what does that mean? The proteins get broken down, like broken up and damaged, and they're these little, they're in like these little pieces, and those little pieces have some biological activity. And they talk to the skin and they say to the proteins, hey, we're damaged. So um, the two that you're going to be hearing a lot about are here, the tripeptide and the hexapeptide, and those are the two main ingredients in elastin nectar. And by the way, I don't work for the company, I don't speak for the company, I have no, like, but I just love the product. Um, so here is that um, tripeptide one, and what it does is it removes that, um, that stuff out of the extracellular matrix. It kind of cleans it up for us, and therefore there's like more space in there, and there's um, like more energy, I, that's how I like to think about it, to focus on healing rather than dealing with all the disgusting gross stuff that's in there that they need to clean out. So another way to help your skin is to um, approve DNA repair. So, and we can do this by putting on topical DNA repair enzymes. Um, and it helps take, um, it helps the cells take out the bad nucleo, nucleic acids and replace them with new ones. And some topicals that we use for that are niacinamide and coenzyme Q10. So, Every product in your regimen should improve the efficacy of the other products. And before, you might have thought that that didn't really mean anything or work, but I'm hoping now that you guys see the importance of layering and how that really matters. So we talked a lot about today about chemical, chemical reactions, formulations, order of product, but you also, again, need to give your patients some do's and don'ts because then you're gonna to go to all this trouble, right, and take all this time to design this perfect regimen for them, and they don't do it correctly, and then you've wasted all that time. So um, definitely write things out for them, give them their regimen, and give them lots of do's and don'ts. And, you know, it takes a long time to design a skincare regimen. You really need time to think about it, think through all these issues, how they all interact with each other, and it's really hard to do it when you're sitting in front of a patient. Um, so what we do in our office, we actually use software to do it for us. Um, I think I've met like a couple people yesterday who came up to me and they told me they use this software as well. But what we do is we have the patients in the waiting room, they take this quiz, and then it IDs for us what their specific skin type is, and then the regimen is auto-generated for us. 
So um, if you guys want a copy of this talk, um, if you want to um, listen to some webinars more to go more in depth about this, you can go ahead, you can email Dr. Leslie Bauman, and that's her email. Also, you can follow me at Lip Lady of Miami on Instagram. And um, I'm happy, you guys can DM me questions, I'm happy to answer um, anything that comes up. Uh, but you also can ask Dr. Bauman questions as well. She's happy to, she's waiting for you guys to email her <laughs> um, and follow her on LinkedIn as well. So um, I think um, that's about it. I want to give you guys a little bit of extra time to go and visit the exhibitors and have a little bit more of a break before the next lecture. So if you guys want, I'm just going to hang out here and you guys can come over to me if you have any questions. Um, thank you so much for having me. This has been great, and I hope you guys really feel that that was beneficial to you in your practice. Oh, okay. So um, here are post questions. The retinoids are inactivated when exposed to sunlight. Hopefully we'll do better this time. Yay! Great job, guys. And then the order of application of skincare products do not impact efficacy or tolerability. Okay, great. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll be right there hanging out. The overall performance. <laughs> this has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.